2: I mean, no one plans to get sick, and yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID 19, and somehow, I'm still here. I also survived our stupid broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together. Because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. A quick reminder before we get started. If you like the show, I hope you do. Feel free to leave me a like a review or rating or don't. It's fine. We're cool on the show today. And I've been waiting a long time for this to happen. Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. Yes, I Hint water, but they're more than water. As you'll find out, create the thing you wished you had. It's kind of the theme here for today's show. She did just that. She calls herself an accidental entrepreneur for that very reason, you know, inventing a product that didn't exist, but kind of needed to exist. She honed her chops at AOL and Time Magazine in the 90s. She even interned for John McCain back in the day. And now you probably know this already, but hint is everywhere. They went beyond water into natural sunscreens that don't contain shit that give you cancer. How novel. And she's got a great new book out called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And I promise you, you're in store for a fabulous conversation. Enjoy the show. Long time coming. Cara Golden, welcome to Out of Patience. Thank you. Great to be here. I feel like the name of the show should be Never Tell Anyone They Can't Do Something.
1: I totally agree. It gives you that much more
2: energy to go and try. Exactly. Also, by the way, I didn't realize that we both have had our faces plastered on the Nasdaq building. That's a checkbox that most people don't get to have.
1: That's amazing. So, yeah, uh, lots and lots of fun. And I I love those guys at Nasdaq. They're
2: amazing. No, they're they're fantastic. I did want to start by pointing out something with my old agency hat brain on. You guys use the word actually in your marketing more brilliantly than any other brand I've ever heard of. And what I mean by that is it's one thing to say it's the best soap ever, or it's actually the best soap ever. Like, here's something that's actually good for you and actually works. It just seems like it naturally came out of your brain because it's just so genuine.
1: Well, I think more than anything, it really speaks to the fact that, you know, I'd been fooled by the word diet for so long, and that I had been drinking a lot of diet soda and how they weren't actually Getting me as healthy as I wanted to be, I really started to think, I guess, about that word actually, too, because I think that when you point to it as a fellow consumer and say, this one actually is it, (laughs) that more and more people start to look at, well, why are they saying actually? And they start to look at the rest without being negative towards some of these other products and, and focusing consumers on a negative marketing campaign versus actually what they should
2: be focusing on. Well, Coke was it, but it wasn't actually it.
1: But it wasn't actually <laughs> it. It's true. That's very, very true. I, I think it's interesting that you picked up on that. So I have done a lot of podcasts and I have to say that I've never been asked that.
2: Well, again, I'm a happily exited agency person, but I picked up some tricks along the way. I love it. Yeah. I also want to talk about, I feel like there's like this trinity of retail brands. I know a lot of friends that launched products into the market in food and beverage. And the tier used to be, if you got into Wegmans, you know, you made it. And then if you got into Whole Foods, you know, you made it. And now you get into Starbucks, you know, you made it. Like, what's the next thing? (laughs) You know, you made it if your product is in what store?
1: I think when people are talking to you about your brand like their owners, and I think that that's where you know to some level you've made it because (laughs) they share how it's part of their life. Here's a great example. I was just talking to somebody about this earlier today. Almost every time someone claims to be a Hint fan, they share with me what their favorite flavor is. And they frequently then share with me what flavor they don't like. And there's (laughs) always a flavor that they don't like. And what I always think is funny is it's one of our top flavors. (laughs) (laughs) It's blackberry, it's lemon, it's cherry. And then I always follow it up with, oh, that's really interesting. That's one of our top flavors. And then they were like, really? Right. I mean, they're just so surprised by it. And then they back off and they're like, well, I don't really like it. I really like these other flavors. I'm like, then you should drink those other flavors. (laughs) And that's, and we're all about choice. We have over 20 flavors, et cetera. But I would say over 50% of the time, the next time I run into this person or they happen to email me, they ask me the question if I've reformulated that flavor. Because they now tried that flavor and, and all they of like, a sudden it. like it and they like it. <laughs> and this is like Groundhog Day. Yes. So I'm always curious if they if I'm going to see them or if they're going to write to me and tell me, oh, now I really like the cherry or now I really like the lemon. And they always want to know if it's because we've reformulated and we haven't reformulated. It's just them. And think about cherry, for example. It's a very common you know, flavor, you know, there's cherry Coke. People have this idea about what cherry should be tasting like based on fake flavor, right? but also the heavily sweetened. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody's brain has this idea that something should taste like this and they don't like it, then even if we're doing things right, they can't taste it because their brain is getting in the way of it. But the more that they come to love the brand and trust the brand, they may eventually come back to it. Maybe it's the only thing left in the refrigerator and they're (laughs) really thirsty that day and then they come back to it, then they actually give it another shot and they'll realize that there's some kind of difference. And so I think that the fact that somebody is actually thinking about our brand that much Mm I mean, if you talk to somebody at Coca-Cola, for example, you're either a Diet Coke drinker or you're a Coke drinker or vitamin water, but you pick based on the brand. You don't typically talk about like Cherry Coke. That is like one specific, but you're not talking about different flavors underneath the brand like you do with Hint. And I think it's a powerful thing when I hear somebody start to talk about
2: the flavors. I want to get to Diet Coke in a second, because that plays a major narrative. In your story. But I wanted to talk about, well, first of all, your rebrand should be new hint. Yes, it's supposed to taste like this. You're welcome. I just did your whole campaign. I think that
1: that is exactly what it should be.
2: I was going to say, I'm a big fan of salmon. I love salmon, eating my whole life. And I went to Europe and I went to Scandinavia. I had salmon at Oslo Airport. And I'm like, so this is what it's really supposed to taste like. We're so used to the verisimilitude of food in this country. We lose sight of the fact that It's not supposed to taste that way. It's supposed to taste this way. That's your point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's other flavors that, frankly, have just been butchered over the years. I mean, lemon is one in particular. It's Mm -hmm. like, actually, lemon was one of our hardest ones to do. Because people have this perception of what lemon should taste like, but also smell like. I mean, you have so many furniture polishes, for example, that's out there that smells like lemon. And if you have lemon furniture polish all over your house and you're used to smelling that, it's very hard for you to drink it. It, It's just your mind thinks about these things. So it's not us, it's them, right? It is.
2: Well, it goes back to the, I forget the name of the book, like eat food, mostly plants. If there's too many syllables in the ingredients, you probably shouldn't look at it. I remember I was on your show a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about some of the campaigns in the 2000s, like in the breast cancer space. They're selling products to breast cancer patients that have syllables in them of chemicals that give you breast cancer, and you know that's facepalm from 20 years ago. Yeah, and you know the story of Hint is fabulous because you're like, why should things have to have so much crap in them? And that shouldn't have been disruptive at the time, but it was. Absolutely. What I started thinking about
1: when I gave up my Diet Coke and started drinking plain water was that I wanted to drink Diet Coke, A, because it was healthier and better for me. That's what diet...
2: Healthier and better for you in quotes.
1: Right. And that's what it meant to me. And for me, plain water was super boring. And so the alternative to my diet Coke when I gave it up was drinking plain water. But I was so bored that I thought I'll agree to do this for the next few days, but I just know me, it's not going to last. I'm going to be really thirsty one day and then I'm going to say, ah, what the heck? I'm going to go back to drinking this diet soda. But that's when I came up with this idea where I didn't really crave the sweet, some people actually crave bubbles, and I've, that's a whole other conversation. that That's I think, the Pellegrino oh, universe. Right. And there's some people that crave it. In fact, there's been all kinds of studies around bubbles where some people really need it to focus and concentrate, that it hits like the top of your palate. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the addiction to sweet that you're challenged up against. Some people like bubbles, and clearly that is the difference between something that is better for you. Certainly the bubbles are better for you versus the syrup and and the sweeteners that are in so many of these other drinks. But yeah, I mean, as I started to really look at kind of the universe that was out there, I also looked at how big the diet soda industry is. I mean, billions and billions of dollars in not just Diet Coke, but Diet Pepsi and all the other diet drinks that are out there. And so I thought there must be other people like me that are actually looking for an alternative that don't know the harm that they're doing and what i finally learned after switching to my homemade version of hint that i made in my kitchen was that it's not really about everything that you're giving yourself which is sort of counter it's actually what you're not giving yourself that is really important that you know you shouldn't be drinking something and once you stop drinking it then your body looks differently at sort of process. That's
2: how you start your bio on your website, which is like you had this accidental homeopathic solution born of stopping to drinking soda, your acting cleared up. Like who yeah. thought that stopping drinking multisyllable crap would make your body better?
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's certainly not what people typically think. I don't know how old you would have been when you're taking like a vocabulary test. Maybe it's second or third grade. The word diet. It's kind of a negative word, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like no one wants to go on a diet or, you know, maybe you're overweight and that's why you're told to diet. But it's never a plus, right? A positive thing. And then somewhere along the way, it morphs in to this thing that is going to be helpful. And and yet how are we as humans tricked into believing that something is actually better for us and we're marketed to. So in the case of diet soda, it's really interesting. When I wrote my book, we were doing research on diet Coke in particular. And I'm kind of a test case when I was growing up in the 80s and, you know, some really smart marketer decided that there were people leaving drinking Coke and they weren't going to drink tab because that's what their moms drank.
2: Right. Good old saccharin.
1: Right. And so then they introduced this thing called Diet Coke, Mm -hmm. because they really wanted to get the people that were thinking, like me, that they didn't want to have lots and lots of sugar, because sugar actually wasn't good for them. And so then they said, okay, well, here's the better version. But it is awesome in many, many ways from a marketing perspective, that they use the word diet counter to how we thought of it. We looked at it as a better alternative to full-fledged soda, but little did we know how much it was screwing up
2: our metabolism. Yeah. And all the people that went to McDonald's and bought nine Big Macs and a Diet Coke. How'd that work out?
1: Sure. (laughs) Yeah. And and they still do. I mean, I think there's people that are really thinking that they're doing better. And frankly, you look today and we have a Huge problem in America around insulin. And insulin is, depending on who you ask, there's a shortage of insulin. There are people that should be having insulin that don't get insulin because they can't afford it. The real problem is that we have more diabetics. Are we getting better at diagnosing diabetes, not just type one, which you're born with, but type two, which you're acquiring? We're forgetting about what's going on here? Mm -hmm. If type two diabetes is a new disease that when I started my company 16 years ago, it was one to one and a half percent of the population was getting this disease. Today, it's 40 to 45 percent has type two diabetes or prediabetes. That much growth in 16 years. And now our answer is, well, we've got this problem. We can't get People access to it. Why don't we actually see what is the cost mm-hmm. of this? We're addicted to sweet. Period. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obvious, right? We didn't have this problem before. And now we have this problem. And when you look at whether it's, you know, big food or the soda companies, I mean, there's zero limit. Now, if you go into a hospital today with COVID, you're Chances of actually getting out of the hospital, if you've got some underlying condition like type 2 diabetes, is significantly reduced, sadly. Mm -hmm. It should be a wake-up call to people to say, like, what is it in our food system and in our drink system that is causing this problem? More people who have type 2 diabetes claim, and I believe them, that they're not having 10 cupcakes a day. They're not drinking 10 Cokes a day. It'd be hard. to drink 10 Cokes a day. But they're drinking diet. They're eating low fat. They're having these things. And here's the other criminal word that's out there is natural. Yes. right. John
2: Oliver did a whole segment on the word and the abuse of the word natural.
1: The abuse of the word natural. And so you talk to people, even very intelligent people that I speak to about diet soda. They're like, yeah, but I drink the diet soda. It doesn't have aspartame in it. It has natural diet sweeteners in it. And so this is a game. Those that words don't go have...
2: together. There's no natural diet. Sweetener. No,
1: because it's all processed. Yes. It started out as a natural thing, a leaf. I mean, stevia is, yes, it is a natural leaf, but then it gets processed. Mm-hmm. Big companies, they're basically telling the consumer, we know you're stupid. You go focus on this. Watch this. Zero calories. This is a natural leaf. Keep taking your insulin and keep getting sicker and sicker. And instead, what the consumer should be focusing on is how does my body react to this? Since I started drinking diet soda, have I gained weight? Mm -hmm. Have I had more sick days? All of these questions for me, I never had acne even as a teenager And the minute I started drinking diet soda, I started having adult acne. It's such a
2: fabulous cause and effect.
1: Yeah. No one thinks, they think that it would be removed from the market if there was enough. And instead what they do is they come out with a new sweetener. When they know that there's people that are like, I don't know, you know, aspartame is terrible, whatever, then it, okay. Well, there's the
2: pink packet, the white packet. The brown packet, the yellow packet, and now the green packet.
1: Uh, There's all these different ones. I mean, it's the cigarette industry all over again. Mm -hmm. Remember when menthol cigarettes came out? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's the same
2: thing. Same cancer, less tar.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think it's just, it's criminal. And again, it really focuses on people trusting. This isn't AI stuff. This is other humans. They know exactly what they're doing. And yet, they're actually preying on consumers to trick them. And they know what ultimately happens. And unfortunately, there's just too many people that are disconnected.
2: Well, I think we can channel Phil Collins Genesis Land of Confusion. And we'll be right back with Kara Golden here on Out of Patience. Stay tuned for some fabulous ads. AOL. Gen, what what are we up to? Gen Z years. I have no idea what AOL is. Right. That's that old company. But you worked there. Mm-hmm. What was that like to work at AOL in the nineties?
1: It was exciting. I mean, you know, nobody really talked about, at least in my circles, like hockey sticks. <laughs> right. That that whole term was just super new. I mean, I remember I was based out of San Francisco. We didn't even have an office in San Francisco when I first joined. I was part of an acquisition, a little startup that was doing CD-ROM shopping and CD-ROM AOL acquired shopping. us. I know. We're it was dating crazy. ourselves. That's crazy. There were like five of us out there, not just shopping. I mean, there was uh, some music ones. There were some different CDs out there, but there was, you know, five trying to figure out. And, and the purpose really was to take graphics while we didn't have broadband and these you know fast connections. We could never do Zoom or Riverside or yeah. any of these things because it just wasn't there yet. But it was an exciting time because I think a lot of people really wanted to learn about what would be and and about the future. And one of the stories that I share in my book is one about Mickey Drexler and going into Mickey Drexler at The Gap. And, you know, he's running, you know, this incredible company in San Francisco with stores everywhere. He actually didn't have a catalog. A lot of the companies I dealt with were like L.L. Bean, where they would have more focus on their catalog business. But they believed that the future would be online when the connection could be faster. And so in the meantime, they would test with us on this disk by putting their catalog on this disk, but it had some staticness to it. So they couldn't switch out if they had a seasonal product, all of this kind of stuff. And so AOL was an investor in our company. And then they eventually acquired us when we needed more capital. They just said, why don't we just acquire you guys and you guys just be our e-commerce team. And so that's what happened. And There were so many people coming into that company, not only employees, but also customers and technology. And I've had so many people read my book and look back and they're like, I just can't even believe that we lived through this. Like we saw so much during that time. They'll never
2: know how much we suffered for them.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I know. Exactly. It was, uh, you know, it was a crazy time of people not really knowing whether or not it was going to work out. I felt like there was also this competitiveness that would go on. Like at AOL, for example, we knew that Yahoo and Microsoft were all competitors, Mm -hmm. but we knew people at those companies And we knew kind of what they were doing. And we would joke around with them. And, you know, we were smart enough not to give away any secrets of who we were talking to or whatever. But there was a lot more camaraderie going on to sort of get to the goal, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it was an exciting time. And I didn't even have any revenue goals when I first got there. And so my job was just to kind of, sell the future and try and get these people engaged while there's a whole other group in the world that's working on how to make things faster. And and Jeff Bezos was one of our prospects and eventually a client of AOL where, you know, we had heard he had this like little bookstore. I mean, he was definitely the The little
2: bookstore that could. Yes.
1: Right. I mean, and the only reason why I even decided to take a trip to Seattle and go talk to them was because Borders and Barnes and Noble didn't want to work with us. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, we need a bookstore. Like, come on, we need you to come on with us. And they wouldn't do it. And so I I really looked at if I could just get Amazon to pay attention, maybe I could get these others to pay attention. Like once they saw that we were serious, that we were just going to move on without them. So that was my goal and going to Seattle and to try and get them engaged. And we did, and we got them engaged. One of the stories that I think about a lot is even meeting with Jeff Bezos. I was supposed to meet with him at five o'clock one day, he said he couldn't meet with me until five o'clock because he was building bookshelves and he was getting ready for the next day and he was really busy and anyway he wasn't like the kindest and gentlest person i remember on the phone when i was setting up the meeting but i was like whatever i'll be there at five o'clock so get up there and he had me meet him in his warehouse and there was no addresses on the warehouse. And so I'm driving around in circles. I have a colleague with me and so it's 520 and I'm thinking I should really call him and just tell him that I can't find this place. And I have this vision of him where he stood outside the warehouse and is like waving his arms and Jeff Bezos. I mean, it's just insane, right? And so he comes out and He says, you know, sorry, I I forgot to tell you that there was no numbers on the warehouse, but unfortunately, I can't meet with you. And I'm thinking, you're kidding, right? Like this, I flew all the way up here in order to meet with you. And he said, I've got to get these bookshelves. I've got a huge order coming in the morning and all hands on deck. And I said, I'll help you build the bookshelves. And he said, have you ever built a bookshelf? Yeah, I have. I've built a bookshelf before. And he said, okay, come on, let's go. We can keep talking.
2: Wait, and these were the days before IKEA, too.
1: These were the days before IKEA. And uh I really hadn't built a bookshelf before, but it wasn't that tough. They were, you know, the <laughs> yeah. Home Depot, the the tube ones that yes. we were putting together. Uh but you know, it's funny after building bookshelves with Jeff and I was chit-chatting with him and told him what we wanted him to do. I remember thinking, I don't think this guy can do this. If the volume got too big, I I mean, this guy's still building bookshelves. Like, this is just not going to work out very well. And I said, so why do you think you can compete? This is 1996. Why do you think you can compete against Barnes & Noble or Borders? And he said, do you ever go to a bookstore and asked the guy behind the counter for a recommendation on books. And I said, sure. And he said, and so how does that work out for you? And I said, well, he can't possibly know all the books that I read and recommend books. And he said, the future of book sales is recommendations.
2: Mm -hmm. Yep.
1: This is 1996. Now you think about it, For all you entrepreneurs that are listening and you think things take a long time, it easily took Jeff Bezos 25 years to really get recommendations to the point where he wanted it. And And now it's the entire
2: fundamental basis of the entire commerce of the planet.
1: Totally. And so he saw this vision in 1996. And it was at that point where I remember my brain thinking, okay, he doesn't focus on the numbers on the warehouse. He was a little rough around the edges, all of these kind of things, but he's so smart. Mm-hmm. Like I remember walking out thinking he sees the future. He doesn't know when it's going to happen, but he has to wait until the consumer catches up. But it was that moment where I thought, I don't know if he's going to be able to handle the volume, but I thought he'll figure it out. I don't know how he's going to figure it out, but he'll figure it out. But I think what he understood that a lot of other people didn't understand was the future, right? And the future of what consumers would
2: want. You're writing a lot on your website these days. And one of your recent articles said, get going and disrupt already. I've always been saying, shut up and do something. Totally. But channeling, you know, Bezos and his his vision 25 years ago, you know, you started this 16 years ago. Today, it's like anyone and their mom can walk into a store and find something that's, you know, quote, actually healthy in various different markets. But you saw this 16 years ago. I do want to focus more on this fabulous new. It's not a pivot. It's just an expansion into sunscreen. But I want to ask you, when was the first time you heard the word paraben?
1: You know, it was probably five years ago. And then also other words too, oxybenzone. So I had a scare with skin cancer on my nose. And that's when I started really paying attention. You know, it's funny. I was paying attention to what I was putting in my body. I was paying less and less attention to what was going on my body. Mm -hmm. And I think that until you get scared, oftentimes people just aren't there yet you can market to them you can say oxybenzone free you can say paraben free but unless people actually know why they have to listen and maybe have some sort of moment then you know they don't listen and even somebody who you know was focusing on no sweeteners and what they were putting in in the body i figured Uh, the cosmetics industry. I mean, how bad could it really be? (laughs) Personal care, (laughs) right? Personal care, how bad could it be? I mean, and I just hadn't really focused on it because it really is totally different. It's a very different industry overall. And I wanted to call attention to it. And I'll run into people who absolutely love the sunscreen. They typically get it, you know, a friend gives it to them. They're at an event Oftentimes people will ask about it, it smells so good on the beach and they'll be like, what is that that you're spraying? And then they're like, oh gosh, I didn't even know hint out of sunscreen, that's really wild. But it's kind of a launch point for those consumers that maybe really hadn't listened to what we were doing with water. Maybe they like plain water and unlike me are not bored by plain water, but all of a sudden we start to do these things that have purpose and meaning for somebody who is looking for a better sunscreen. We have a deodorant for hand sanitizer, whatever it is that we just do products better. And then suddenly they come back to these other products in the brand. And so what it does for us is really make our relationship stickier, make our lifetime value higher, but it serves a purpose, right? And and sometimes it's very rare that somebody doesn't go back and try the rest of the brand once they find something in one of those other categories that we've done that they
2: like. Well, first of all, it was a genius play. You already had a captivated consumer base of brand loyalists that had been woke to what they were already putting in their body. And here you are with an entirely new, entirely relevant tangential message about what's on your body is as important as what's in your body. Wait for the people to come up to you and say, you know what? I don't really like the lemon sunscreen.
1: (laughs) Well, and it's funny. It comes in three different scents. So it's grapefruit, pear, and pineapple. And it's funny because a lot of people will think about pear. They'll smell the pear and they'll be like, wow, I never really thought about spraying pear on me, but it's really nice. It's really subtle. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's really about the ingredients. And I probably hear more these days about the sunscreen than I do because it's hard to find. It's sort of this cult following. You can find it on (laughs) Amazon. It's also up on our site at drinkkint.com. So it's an exciting brand extension for sure. And again, I think it Really speaks to our need and desire to really help consumers get and stay healthy.
2: All right, last thing. We're both huge fans of Steve Jobs. I took many cues from him and his leadership. My big takeaway, my favorite quote of his, I want to cite yours, is that you never give people what they want, you give them what they didn't know they needed. But your favorite quote is you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. They're very allegorical. Can you sum up? How that has affected your entire life, and if you're looking back at the wake your boat has left on society culture, even pop culture to an extent, how do you make sense of that?
1: Yeah, I think about that quote, if not daily, every other day because we all have things in our journey where we're not that excited about maybe what happened, maybe how we reacted, maybe how you know it played out, uh, maybe it's a health issue that whole time period really stunk maybe there aren't any obvious lessons at the time but later on you think I took that moment I took that period of time and I'm doing something differently with my work with how I eat whatever it is I got smarter right and so I think about the dots connecting constantly because. Again, you may not know it when you're in it. You may be coming over a bad hangover, right? Where you're just like, oh my God, get me out of here. We all have those moments. But when you look back on the most challenging times, are those the things that actually teach you the most about the direction that you're supposed to be headed and your purpose and your meaning in this life? And I totally believe that.
2: Kara Golden is the founder and CEO at Hintwater, the author of Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, and the host of The Kara Golden Show, which is an epic podcast that I've been on. You've had incredible people on the show. It is available wherever you listen to your podcast or apparently on AOL, Floppy Disk, and not CD-ROM. Kara, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much.
2: That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patients is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's
0: media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.